Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Welcome. My name is Mike C., and I'm a recovering sexaholic. Welcome to the panel on... Spiritual Awakening. Spiritual Awakening. (laughs) In the spirit, uh, I'll be the moderator for this panel. We're pulling double duty. We don't have a moderator, so we'll, we'll do it all. In the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry the essay message, the session will be recorded. The recorder will not be turned off during the session. If you do not wish to be recorded, you may participate by listening. Please do not tamper with the recording equipment. We will begin the meeting with a few moments of silence followed by the serenity prayer. Prayer, God, God grant, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom is another difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Would someone please read the essay purpose from page 201 of the White Book? Or out of this? Someone must have it. My name is Sean. I'm a sexaholic. Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. Our panelists for this session are Dan and I'm Mike. Each will share for 10 minutes on a topic. And there's a third person. We might go, we could go longer if we need to. Mm-hmm. We'll then open the meeting for sharing. Please join me in welcoming our panelists. <laughs> Good for us. Good for us. <laughs> Take, let's see. All right. Go, Dan. Go. You want me to go? Sure. Go first? If you're All right. That, go I'm going to hit start on my stopwatch here. <laughs> So let's see, 1248, okay. Alright, so I had to think about this long and hard. Like, you know, I don't I don't actually think of myself as being like spiritually woke. So I was like, what does this what does this mean, spiritually awakening thing? Um And as I thought of my story, where I came from, where I've gotten to thus far, um and I don't feel like I haven't arrived. It's a, it's a journey, but there have been some major perspective shifts, you know, and how I, how I view the world around me, how I understand my spirituality and my relationship with my higher power. And that has really changed over the past 
three and a half years. Um, something something that I always knew but had never really accepted, you know, deep down inside, um, it, it was something that I I came across in working my amends and resentments. I've always known what I want, but I found praying for what I want didn't get me what I wanted. It's like, I want donuts, but that's not what I need. I don't need donuts. Um, so praying for donuts would always end in misery. That was never a good thing, because I don't know what I need, and in the end, I don't know what I actually want, because I want to be happy. Donuts aren't going to make me happy. I kind of figured that out. So I was working on my amends, and I had a, a manager that I really hated with a passion. And I had to figure out, how am I going to say I'm sorry to this guy for like hating him? It just didn't seem right, because I really disliked him, and I felt like I had good reasons to dislike this person. So doggone it, I'm going to hold on to this. Um, my, my sponsor, he told me to, okay, well, you know, there might, there might have been some problems there, sure. Um, so write out what, what happened, um, how did you feel about this? What are the lasting effects of, you know, this person in your life? And I started to look at it and I realized that, uh, and I had verbalized this many times before. I'd verbalized, I, I hated this guy. Because of how he made me behave. And you might, you might look at that sentence and be like, that kind of doesn't make sense, how he made you behave. No one can make me behave except for myself. Um, and it took me months though of trying to wrap my head around the fact that the way I behaved, I held against this man. Um, and that was my choice. I found, I found through trial and error, if he was being mean, I could be mean back to him and he would give me some amount of respect for that. And so I'd keep doing this and I hated doing that though. I wasn't true to myself and then I blamed him for my behavior. <coughs> Screwy thinking. Um, so then the next part was, what are the lasting effects this guy had on my life? And I was like, okay, because of him, I really didn't like my job so I decided to go to grad school. Okay, going to grad school, that's definitely something to resent someone for. You went to grad school and bettered yourself. Okay, all right. Um, then I thought I'd get a new job. Um, didn't end up getting a new job. He ended up quitting, though, and I got my old job back, and I got a really great boss. And I discovered something I was really passionate about in my career, and it was all because this man that I continue to hate had pushed me in this direction. He saw some ability, some talent, and he's like, do this. And that's what I went to grad school for. So, I ended up looking at the effects. The effect was, I went to grad school, I achieved everything I wanted there, I found something I was passionate about, he quit, I got a manager that I absolutely loved. And then a few years later, I found, because I went to grad school, I had contacts in Atlanta, and I find myself in Atlanta, and I find myself at SA and getting all that. And I go, I can't really blame this man for what he has done in my life. I should thank him because, yeah, maybe he was a little bit of a thorn in my shoe, 
But that was what got me to where I am right now. So why am I hating him? And I go, because I didn't like how I behaved. I was like, this is this was uh, a revelation that really, I would look at it as it happened and I'd be like, objectively, this is terrible. This is like the worst thing ever. Um, but now I can look back and I can say, that is what I needed. My higher power was giving me what I needed to get what I actually wanted, and I didn't know. I wasn't going to sign up. I wasn't going to be like, yes, I'd like hard to get along with manager, please, very much higher power. And um, I'd like to go to grad school and then not get a job afterward. That'd be excellent, too. And then can I totally join a 12-step? I wasn't going to ask for any of these things because I didn't know any better. And I was like, that was kind of, that was a revelation for me. To realize, I don't know what I want. I don't need. I don't know what I need, and I certainly don't know what it is I want, and I don't know what will make me happy. But I do know that through trial and error, my higher power continues to prove to me that He cares for me a lot, even when things look absolutely terrible. Let me go back to my notes because I know I'm going off topic all over the place. Um. So my my self righteous anger against my my boss, I had to let go of that. So when crap hits the fan, I realized this is I'm a creative type. I I do art and uh, sculpture was a big thing, and I I got it into my head just before I entered the program. You know, God is God is creator. He's like the ultimate artist. And sometimes maybe it's like when, when I would take the lump of clay and you have to beat it, you have to work it to actually get it into a usable condition. But this means like you take something, it might have been a nice sphere or a block, and you beat the crap out of it so that you can turn it into a vase. And I was like, maybe that's what God's trying to do to me. And I remember writing this this prayer, basically, you know, God shape me, form me, take me like the block of clay, make me into what, you know, my shape is supposed to be, turn me into what I'm supposed to be. You know, and then, like, I hear the third step prayer, which is basically the same thing, um, a couple of months later, and I realized I found my people. So, that's... That was probably like my spiritual awakening right there, working on the amends and being able to see how I, I call them my my golems. So if you're uh, familiar with that, it's like you might have something that really sticks out and it seems terrible and bad, and then in the end, it's kind of the thing that saves you, and it's this paradox. Um, and I've run into this with my... Uh, personal relationships, my romantic relationship, I'm engaged, and that's happened since I was in recovery. And it's like, everything doesn't go smooth, and actually things look really terrible sometimes. It's like, I got engaged last year after, uh, two weeks after the marathon last year. And that seems like, that's great, wonderful, is so happy. And then we ran into all sorts of problems, things that I thought we got past. <coughs> came back, only worse. You know, we're having issues with the parents and how much involvement and control we, you know, have, and things aren't going the way, you know, either of us expected. So not even a month later, so it was last April, it was like everything had gone downhill. 
Um, I still loved her. She still loved me. But I said, I think that we need to consider uh, postponing our wedding. Um, she didn't listen to it the first couple of times when I said it. So it eventually came down to I sat her down, uh, wrapped her up in a blanket, sat her down on the couch, set a Nerf gun next to her. She's like... Why did you just put a Nerf gun? I'm like, that's like the least alarming thing that's going to happen today. Don't worry about that. I was like, you might want to shoot me after I tell you what I'm about to say. And I explained to her the the scenario that we saw ourselves. It was a lose-lose scenario. I wasn't going to be happy. She was going to feel torn. Her parents were always going to be upset with the whole situation. I was like, we can't go forward with, uh, with a marriage like this. I was like, so as the groom, I'm going to postpone this indefinitely until we figure out what is it that you want with your family and how will this work for us that was like one of the worst days of my life it was terrible i i did not like that day at all i had stressed about it for weeks i felt like the thanos of you know marriage preparation like and with one snap it's all gone all these dreams and hopes and i had people tell me like you know what if she takes a serious look at, you know, everything you're asking her to, she might not ever forgive you. She might not see her family the same. Um, she might hold it against you that you postponed her wedding, even if you do get married. This this might just kind of ruin everything, but I was like, it's the right thing to do. And that's where I ha- I've learned through the 12 steps is I have to get out of the results business and just do the next right thing. Because if all I did was what I wanted, if I was just trying to barrel on ahead with Dan's will be done, I would have gotten married last year. Things would have been crazy and a mess and we wouldn't have addressed a whole bunch of things. We just kicked the can down the road. We would have swept things under the rug. Um, but it became apparent. Well, the right thing to do is actually talk about the difficult problems. The right thing to do was to put everything on the line it's risk it all but be open and honest about this um and let my higher power take care of the results which was something i never did before i used to be completely results oriented to the point that i had a facade and my facade looked great it, it looked like i got all the results is like Growing up, I cheated in math class. Um, you know, nobody knew that I was a porn addict. I looked, I was an uh, altar server. Everyone was like, oh, there's the good little church boy. And I'm like, uh, that's just a facade. Uh, so having me being in the results business, I could never keep up the results I wanted. What I find now is that by surrendering my control over the immediate situation, just figuring out, discerning what the next right step is, and then leaving the results up to my higher power, I end up getting more of what I actually want in life. So I'll share one one more thing. I think about five more minutes. Is that good? Um, okay. <laughs> so it was uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, I ended up telling my older sister that you know I'm I'm in SA. I'm addicted to pornography and masturbation. It's like you know number one thing you want to tell your sister, especially when she's a nun. It's like, yes, let's go do that. Um, so I, I held off 
for a little while, you know, doing that. Um, I didn't fully believe in myself that, you know, I'd be able to maintain any sobriety or rely on God or anything. But after, uh, you know, a little while on the program, I decided that was the right thing to do. So something else I had realized, working, working my, uh, amends, uh, getting past the resentments, like with that one, one boss, and I saw the, the totally positive ripple effect of, uh, the boss I hated, um, I had seen positive things in my life before that had positive effects. Then I realized a lot of negative things also had positive effects. Basically, I don't have anything where it's like a bad thing uh, begot a bad thing begot a bad thing. Um, even my addiction brought me to this. I go, this is a major positive. Um, so I ended up sharing with her. Uh, she was coming to visit for about a week. And I was like, I don't want to keep this all secret. I'm still going to take phone calls, make phone calls, go to two meetings. Um I was like, so, just so you know. Um, and she's always been a great supporter of me. She accepted it, you know, without question. She was thankful. Um, and the most surprising thing, though, was after after all of that, and after my nunly sister were on FaceTime, um, you know, kind of with tears in her eyes, she was like, thank you so much for sharing this. She's like, well, I'm going to tell you something. And I was like, okay. She's like, a year and a half ago, she is like, in April, I felt like I should pray for you. Okay, that's fair. I probably needed it. And she is like, I didn't even know why, but I felt you needed some prayers. So she apparently started saying 54 rosaries. Rosary is about 15 minutes long. takes about 13 and a half hours to say 54 of them. Um, but she would say one each day. And I was like, you said one rosary each day for me. And I have to tell you, like rosaries were, uh, institutionalized penance growing up in my family. She hates saying the rosary. This is not her favorite thing to do. Um, and I was like, well, whatever drove you to go ahead and do that? You don't even like saying the rosary. She's like, I don't know. I just felt like you needed some prayers. And I was like, well, what were you even praying for? And she said, I was just praying that God, you know, would give you whatever it is you needed. She's like, I wasn't sure what. She's like, the first 27 days, I just prayed you'd receive whatever graces and blessings you need. It's like, okay, what's the other 27? She's like, well, the other 27 days, I just thank God for whatever his answer was. I was like, okay, and like nothing had happened, and you're just going to thank God. And she's like, yes. I was like, wow, uh, you know, thanks a lot. She's like, it doesn't end there. I was like, okay, go on. I was like, you said another 54 rosaries after that? No. She's like, the 54th day was the day that you called me to say you had received a job offer from the job of your dreams in Atlanta. And she's like, I set down my rosary, 15 minutes later you call and you say, I just accepted this job. And I told her like, this is like a miracle, like I don't even know if this is real. And then I find out that my older sister had been praying for me like unceasingly for 54 days. I was like, that's incredible. And I had been telling people all along that I didn't feel like I just got this job that God didn't just send me to Atlanta to get, you know, a paycheck. I felt like there was there was more there, and then I found essay and the support that I've always wanted. 
And then I find out that, you know, none had been praying unceasingly for me. And I go, you know, the the train of events, uh, you know, just proves to me how much my higher power really cares. Um, so even when things look really bad, um, there will be great good that is brought about from it. I just have to surrender his will be done, not mine. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks for having me. I'm Mike. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Mike. Uh, Mike, when you asked me to speak on this panel, I just want to reread uh, again what what the what the topic today is about. And it says, when we open our mind and are willing to let God in, we have taken the leap of faith that God can and will deliver us from our addiction. It's essential for the addict to make this willing acceptance of a power greater than ourselves in order to be released from our addiction. Resistance robs us of that opportunity to open the door and walk through into the light of truth and understanding. As I started chewing on that, it seems to me there is a lot of stuff packed in there. Uh, And just jotting thoughts down. And the first thing I wrote was, what does that even mean? Like, what does it mean to open my mind? uh, To let God in? To make a leap of faith? To deliver me? uh, A willingness to accept help? What is it I'm resisting? Uh, truth and understanding? Well, <clears throat> I know this when I first started coming to these rooms. My truth at that time is that I am in emotional pain. Uh, my truth is that when I act out sexually, it stops the hurting for a while. But then the pain does come back. And came to learn a little bit stronger than the time before. Uh, my truth is I don't know how to stop hurting permanently. Uh, my truth is I don't want to face why I hurt. Uh, and I don't understand why I hurt. Uh, that's, that was my truth when I first started coming in here. Uh, and that might be why Ross V in AA wrote down a long time ago when he said religion is for people who are afraid of going to hell spirituality is for those who have been there uh, and I thought that was an interesting commentary about making a distinction between spirituality and religion and as I've come into these rooms uh, and I grew up in the Episcopal Church grew up in a Christian household so you know had all of that exposure to it, and I knew, you know, there, there's there's God out there, and uh, to me, it was a thing, a thing, an entity, a deity that existed, but I had no relationship really, other than uh, there's a lot of rules there to deal with. And in these rooms, I found a lot of people too talked about that and how uh, many people didn't have a good relationship with God. Uh, there's talk about agnostics and atheists in these rooms. And uh, a lot of people, a lot of, uh, just sound like hatred about God, toward God. And then I hear this thing about uh, 
something called a higher power instead of calling it God and a phrase of the God of my understanding as opposed to the Baptist God or the Methodist God or your God or so uh, just that getting me opening my mind to the thought that there is maybe more than one way to look at this and uh, one of the fellows that's uh, he's here today I'll, I'll always remember I don't know that any of it's original but when I, whoever tells it to me first it was their original <laughs> so he said he was telling that kind of story and he says sound like man you're your God doesn't sound very nice. Why don't you use mine? Because me and him get along great, and you know he's a real big help to me. So the thought that uh, there was that option uh, gets me just thinking differently. Um, uh, one of the things too I noticed uh, for myself and other people as well is that uh, actually I remember a, a fellow saying he was he was actually talking about his relationship with his wife, he said, the more I come to these meetings, the nicer my wife becomes. <laughs> well, <clears throat> having that experience with the God of my understanding, the more I come to these meetings, uh, the more loving, benevolent, caretaking my God is of me. And I'm finding these things that I've searched for or were afraid of to face uh, more and more uh, as the literature says, is the more I turn away from my isolating obsession with sex and self, and especially the more I turn toward others, starting with the people here in the rooms, um, the more I'm finding those things that uh, I was longing for and actually didn't even understand what I wanted. Something was missing, but I don't know what it was. Well, now I know uh, it's... Uh, a craving to belong, to be accepted, to be a part of a group, um, to be loved, to have friends. To It's great to walk into a room and people are glad that I'm there. And I'm glad that you're here. Um, and that uh, experience that I've been having, and it grows every day with every meeting, and every time there's a phone call or any, any kind of contact, uh, to me, that's what I think the spiritual awakening is, which is what this subject is about. Uh, that's how God is showing up in my life now, through those experiences. Uh, so, <clears throat> the, uh, the thought that came to my mind is the, the introduction there talked about a leap of faith. For some reason, the, the thing that popped in my mind was uh, the little child trying to get up the courage to jump off the diving board in the swimming pool for the first time. I mean, I, I just thought about, you know, all those first years staying in the shallow end where it felt safe and the water was not over my head, but all the down there at the other end of the pool, the kids were look like they're having a great time yelling and screaming and jumping off the board as high as they could. And, uh, so, you know, the encouragement to go try it and how much fun it is, but... It was terrifying, and the thought of, you know, you get out there on the diving board, and it's only, what, maybe four feet above the water, but you're standing in, it's over 10 feet deep water, and it looks as though it's really 14 feet to the bottom, because that's what I'm seeing. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, we've all heard it where, you know, there's that person, hopefully that loving parent, but some 
bigger person is in the water at the in the below the board saying, "Come on, I've got you, I've got you. It's it'll be fine. You'll be fine." And you know, we've all seen it. And, uh, go to the edge and back away, run down, get off the ladder, back and forth, back and forth. That leap of faith. So you can see people having a great time in the pool, jumping off the board, but there's that terrifying thought of your first jump, my first jump. Um, and I don't know, it just sort of struck me as a metaphor of, of uh, the spiritual awakening to uh, muster up the courage to trust that that person down there in the water waiting for me is strong enough and is trustworthy enough that I can take the leap and they will take care of me and they'll keep me from drowning. And um, <clears throat> we've all seen that, you know, the first kid's up there and the parent is begging him to jump, jump, and then the next kid up there is screaming, Mommy, Mommy, watch me, watch me, watch me, because now <clears throat> the, it's it's such a great experience. And then then it's how, how high up can you go and how deep down in the water can you go and that great experience of being in the deep water and just uh, floating down there and, and having that sensation that was uh, waiting down there the whole time, but you, you wouldn't experience it in the shallow end, if I could call living an addiction in the shallow end of life. So uh, just just some thoughts about that, but um, that made me think about the resistance, and I, I, I jotted down... Resistance robs us of the opportunity of knowing the truth and of a better experience. So, uh, you know, there's there's just... Uh, I resist because I'm afraid. Uh, even though the, the insanity of me trying to live in isolation and numb out the pain by my addiction never working... Uh, and also the the fact that I've been you know felt such shame in the way I was behaving, um, in denial about it, my ego and my pride getting in the way of of doing what needs to be done. Uh, you know, knowing I'm too weak to beat this thing, uh, but uh, I keep fighting it anyway. Which you know, staying in in a fight that I I've never won yet, and I'm not likely to ever win. Um, so all of those things are what resistance uh, look like to me um, but you know the, uh, the more I come to these meetings uh, the more I draw strength from you <clears throat> as you tell your stories uh, as I come into the meetings and, and see see the way people are living their lives that have been in here a long time and, and really living in recovery, you know, way past sobriety, but in recovery. And I love it when when the new person comes in and have those initial conversations with that new person to think, man, you're a mess. And that is exactly where I was. And I'm so grateful for that reminder because it's doing it, you know, one day at a time. I, I can't easily forget where I came from. And how how dark it was, and so there's another form of spiritual awakening for me is the newcomer coming in. Uh, it's a spiritual awakening for me to see what a great life these people are living, and uh, I want that. 
and I, I am experiencing it now. And I'm excited to know that I've just started and, and the water's even deeper to jump into, uh, which I take that as a good thing, uh, to use the diving board metaphor. Um, it's played out in my life uh, in such amazing ways. I certainly can totally relate to everything Dan said about uh, I would have never been able in a million years to script out how my life has played out in the last seven or so years uh, to to the better. My, my relationships with everybody is so much better, uh, especially with my children. One of an amazing experience I had was when I it was literally at the time I was first coming into these rooms uh, just a total mess at work we uh, were we had some consultants come in to to work on a project with us and these two ladies came in we we talked about the work Uh, we decided we weren't ready to do the work so that's fine Fast forward one year, so one year of coming into the meetings, working on my sobriety and recovery, and back at work we decide uh, maybe now's the time to bring those consultants in and we can do this work now. Uh, so the ladies walk back in, same two ladies, have not seen them in almost to the day, 365 days. Hi, how are you? Good to see you again. And she goes, you, you look good. You look different. You just look good. I don't know what it is, but you look different. You look great, Mike. And and that was, I knew what she was seeing. I mean, I I didn't tell her what she was seeing. I just said thanks. (laughs) But I think that was she was seeing coming for me, that spiritual awakening. I don't know how to explain what she saw. She hadn't laid eyes on me. But things like that, more and more happen and um, these these things that just used to be kind of weird situations and coincidences and good luck more and more I realize it's not the good luck anymore it's it is the way of life um, you know this this thing about spirituality this is probably the perfect place to use that comparison was it a Supreme Court judge but some judge said I can't tell you what pornography is but I know it when I see it I can't tell you what spirituality is to give you Webster's definition of it because I don't know that there is. But I know it when I see it. I know it when I feel it. And I can tell when people see it coming out of me. Uh, One of my daughters texted me uh, today. She knows I'm here. And she said, do good work and bring me home some nuggets of wisdom. (laughs) I mean, my daughter wants to, she wants to know what, I might have learned today or heard it, some of you have said, and we'll talk about that. And so to be able to have conversations like that with a daughter now, instead of hiding my secret double shameful life, that's another example of spiritual awakening for me. And I'm sure you can all identify your own awakenings, but it's just how it shows itself in my life and in your lives. And I get to carry what you show me and teach me uh, into my own life and spread it uh, to, to others. And I really appreciate you. Thank you for that. Thanks for letting me share. All right. Now, all right. Let's see. Uh, 
we're going to have sharing now. Because our common welfare comes first, here are guidelines for sharing during this meeting. We do not cross-talk. That is, we share with the group as a whole rather than addressing any, any individual member. We speak in the I, not in the we or the you. We leave our other identities at the door, including politics, religions, therapies, treatment centers, occupations, and other 12-step issues. We speak about and from the SA point of view. Our meeting focuses on solutions to the SA approach to recovery. Whenever possible, we avoid the mention of titles and authors that are not SA or AA-approved literature. In participation, we avoid topics that can lead to dissension or distraction. We also avoid profanity, sexual descriptions, and sexually abusive language. <coughs> Excuse me. In, in sharing, if a speaker brings up a controversial topic or deviates from our guidelines, the moderator will interrupt the speaker and ask them to honor our request. Please note that your shares will be recorded. In sharing, we encourage you to focus on the topic of the meeting. This is not a check-in meeting. If you need to check in, please find a temporary sponsor, someone with a purple stripe on his name tag, after the meeting with whom you can share. We ask those wishing to share, please come up and sit in the chair next to the microphone in a queue. As one person moves to the sharing chair, the other can move over and another person takes the empty chair. So that as many members as possible may have a chance to share, please limit your shares to a maximum of two minutes or less. A stop sign will remind you that you have reached two minutes. Please speak into the microphone so that those who listen to the recording can follow the discussion. The meeting is now open for sharing. I'm Joe. I'm a sexaholic. I appreciate the uh, topic and the uh, speakers. Um, I was just thinking when I heard the uh, description of uh, opening my mind to God, uh, being willing to let God in, to me that means making room for God. And... uh, one of the ways I've I've tried well uh, recently is that uh, I said this morning in another session that uh, I'm bad about just uh, distracting myself with noise all the time. And uh, every time I get in my car, I turn my radio on and just full blast, you know, listen to music all all day long. And um, and it just it is a distraction. It but it it's also a way of just not allowing anything to come in and. and so what I've tried recently is uh, one thing my sponsor suggested a while back, um, which is just to get in the car and be silent. You don't have to have music playing. Just listen. And it is an opportunity to let, you know, I might hear something from God when I'm quiet. Uh, at least I give him the chance uh, without trying to drown him out. Um, so that that is one thing I've been trying recently, and, and it and it, I, it is helping. Um the other thing I heard, uh, I like the analogy about uh, uh, God being uh, saving us. Uh, I think you said saving us when we're drowning or something like that. And uh, I remember, uh, you know, in, in life saving, uh, they used to teach that, uh, you know, oftentimes the person that's drowning is going to resist the person that comes to save him. And I feel that way myself. I oftentimes, knowing that God is <laughs> trying to do his work in me, I'm, I'm fighting him. But if I can just let go and surrender to His will and not my will, uh, He's going to pull me out of the deep waters and give me a place to stand. And I just have to remember that because, uh, again, this is a disease of forgetfulness, and I'm oftentimes guilty of forgetting. But thank you for the reminder. Thank you for letting me share. Thanks, Thanks, Jim.
Warren Sexaholic. Um, two things came to my mind with spiritual awakening. The first was I remember uh, after getting into the program, the first time I could look myself in the mirror again, um, and I didn't really realize uh, that I couldn't look in the mirror. Um, well, I say that, but I did tell my wife in disclosure that I couldn't look in the mirror, and she said, "Then there's more there." Um, so, uh, but but I remember that, and and that wasn't my spiritual awakening. Um, but at least was uh, kind of a step two. I, I felt like you know there was there was less that was hidden and there was more that was out in the in the open. There was a freedom that was there. Where I feel like I, I got a moment of spiritual awakening was uh, and I can't name the day, but there was just an inner peace. So much of the time when I was uh, in active addiction, um, there was just noise, just constant noise inside my head, constantly tense, constantly just carrying things that I just couldn't hold. And it was just nice to get to a place where I could sit on the couch and not have anything in my head. And I could walk somewhere and not have anything in my head. And there was nothing that I was trying to hold on to, nothing I was trying to justify, nothing I was trying to keep from somebody. And that was really, really nice. And so to me, uh, the days that I feel like I can't find good spirit, I try to seek where that peace went. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you. Bobby Sexaholic. I was thinking about a couple different things. Um, first of all, you know, thank you guys for opening up. And, uh, um, so the White Book describes, um, you know, a, a good and a bad spirit. And you know, I feel like early in my teens, I had a spiritual awakening, but it was for my bad spirit. Um, I was living a, a negative spiritual life, um, and. In the big book, uh, it describes a spiritual experience as a change in attitude sufficient to bring about recovery. Um, you know, I didn't get that until I went through the steps. The 12 steps says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of the 12 steps. Um, you know, so I, I have to do the work, and then I'm awakened. Um, you know, I was still living a negative spiritual life halfway through the steps, um, until I stopped doing certain things and thinking certain things, I couldn't awaken to this new way of life. Um, I, I was just unable. Um, so by, by doing the steps, I was actually able to start seeing things. And, um, you know, I, I see things through the eyes of other people. Um, like someone described, people were starting to give me compliments. You know, like, something's different about you. I don't know what it is, and you know, this and that. And uh, you know, I could tell something was going on. Um, you know, so I just kind of stuck with it. Um, but for me, the, the spiritual awakening, it, it definitely came through working the steps. And, uh, you know, I tried when I first came in to, to not work the steps in SA. I thought that I'd already worked them in another fellowship, so I was good to go. But, uh, that wasn't the case for me. Um, I had to get an SA sponsor and work the steps in SA. And I started getting results for this addiction. So thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks, Bobby. You got a timer, right? I do. Yeah. Cameron Sexaholic. <laughs> hey, Cameron. That was great. Appreciate the uh, the uh, shares and the topic. Um, I was going to say the same thing um, when I first. He said exactly what I was going to say, so I'll just repeat it because <laughs> you guys probably need to hear it again, um, or at least I do. Uh, you know, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of the step, like. This meeting I used to go to out in Denver, they'd be like, the result of the step, you know, because it wasn't like a result. It was like, if you did the work, it would work. Now, when I first got in, I was like, well, I'll just prove them wrong 
by doing the steps and being like, it's not going to work, you know, like, um, and that's what was some of my motivation for doing the steps. And thankfully they actually did work. Um, and, um, I, I also liked that, um, you know, there's that thing that talks about like sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly in the promises, they will always materialize if we work for them sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. And uh, I always wanted a big, profound, you know, I had a, actually had a really profound spiritual experience um, in my faith tradition. I wasn't, I wasn't a Christian. I became a Christian. It's a huge, profound thing. My addiction was, like, wiped away for, like, six months, you know? And I was like, this is perfect. Um, and, then all, and then all my crap came back. Um, or maybe it was just always there. I don't know. Um, but um, what I appreciate about my recovery and growth in recovery is that it's like, I'm always looking for like the next big like boom, you know, and like God. I remember like when I first started working uh, like my steps and stuff, and I was so pissed because I was like three years in and I was doing all this work, and I was like Joe, like my sponsor, I was like this isn't working. And he was like, well, it takes time. Like it's like it took a while to pickle your brain. It takes a while to undo it, you know. And I didn't really want to hear that, but um, honestly, that's the kind of growth I need. I don't need. Um, actually, I would like to have the quick fix. Like if you guys know how to do that, talk to me afterwards, and let's just get it done. <laughs> But um, but I'm also really grateful that I see like a, a steady spiritual awakening growth, and I'm grateful for that. Thanks, let me share. Thank that was like perfectly. Yeah, perfectly. Perfect. 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 <laughs> My name is Miles. I'm a sexaholic. Um, one of the things I do is I'm a music director for a church. So since I'm a planner, I will ask our pastor for uh, his just a sermon topic and a scripture. Um, that he's going to be doing on Sundays. So I'll take that information and pick all the music for the service. And because uh, sometimes my pastor works by inspiration, um, I'll ask him, what are you, what are you doing? Because I plan several weeks out ahead. And he said, oh, I have no idea. Uh, I'll, I'll let you know when I know, and sometimes he doesn't. <laughs> and so those times, um, I don't know what to do. So I'll start going through the file cabinets with all of our music, And I'll pick something up, and I'll look at it, and I'll go, you know, that feels right. Let's do that. And the funny thing about it is um, a lot of times those weeks is when the music fits the best. Um, And and and, uh, another irony is that after the service, no one ever comes down to me to tell me that I did a good job picking music except those... Sundays when I didn't plan, so it's just a nice little dig. Um, and I think I think God does that for me, not so that people will think I'm good at my job, but just to remind me that you know I'm here all the time. You don't have to wait until you're in a bind to seek help. You know I'm always there, and I need to do a better job of you know not having the attitude of this is what I do I don't I don't need help right now I have all the information I need let me just do my job I'm I'm good I need to get out of that and seek help in the good times and so that I'll be more receptive to it when uh when a bind really comes and I really need it so thanks for letting me share thanks I'm Hal I'm a sexaholic um I appreciate you guys shares today you had to say um it uh reminds me of my own spiritual journey which has by no means been a straight line um 
I've taken many wrong turns into areas that um, I shouldn't have gone in. Or, uh, but as, as you have shared, that even those wrong turns have benefited me because I learned from them and I gained some wisdom. And and the metaphor that I've always thought about with my spiritual life is that it's kind of like a a GPS navigation system in that um, my route is set and here's where my higher power has for me to go but I still have my power of choice and whether I use my power of choice wisely or foolishly is up to me and if I make a turn off of that route then I'm not following this route anymore but what does the GPS do? It recalculates and Wherever I'm at, I always have a way to get back to where I'm going. And those of you that might have used a GPS before, and your, you know, most vehicles seem to have them now or on your phone, um, it's sometimes it's kind of hard to get lost with those if you will follow what it has to say to you. And that was true of me. Um, I took many, many, many detours in my life, but the path that I was on, crooked as it was, still led me to here and still led me to know my higher power closer and to have a life now that I could not imagine and reconciled relationships, uh, blessings with favor, and uh, just a lifestyle that I could not have envisioned based on the choices that I had made. So I'm grateful for the fact that uh, my higher power is always putting a path before me that if I'll just choose it and stay on it, he's taking me where I need to be. Thanks. Thanks, Al. Thanks, Al. Hey, I'm Patrick. I'm a sexaholic. Uh, Thanks for your guys' shares. And and there's been a lot of good stuff that I need to rehear that's been shared today from all of you guys, and I appreciate that. The thing that stuck out to me uh, was something that one of the panelists was saying about you know, it's hard to define spirituality, uh, but you know it when you see it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a sex addict. And uh, like a lot of us, I love to overthink things. And I love to put things in boxes. And if they can't go in a box, then I'm going to find a way to put it in a box. And, you know, the thing is, is that, like, I haven't read anywhere in any of the literature that says I have to define what my higher power is or I have to create a box for my higher power. And when I start focusing on that, when I start focusing on trying to define what my higher power is, I tend to lose track of what I need to be doing, which is working the steps, right? The the promises say if I work the steps, then I'll get a spiritual awakening. But in my mind, I'm like, if I define God, then I get the spiritual awakening. And it's so counterproductive, right? It's it's counterintuitive, Um, but for me, you know, I, that's a good reminder. And this has been a good reminder that like, it's not important how I define the, those things. Cause I'll know it when I see it. Uh, but if I work the steps, if I, if I do the next right thing then those things are going to happen on their own. Uh, and, and that for me is just, it's really good to be reminded. So thanks for all of you sharing that today. Thank you. Hey, I'm Justin, a sexaholic. Um, kind of like the previous shares have have said, uh, I kind of expected this big, huge um, spiritual awakening, and kind of um, what one of the shares on the panel said, talking about, I'm always looking at the results, and 
and worrying about what's this going to affect? What's this going to? If I do the steps, I'm going to have this huge spiritual awakening, like other members in the group, and I'm going to be like this guy. Um, and look at those guys and go, I'm not there yet. I haven't had my spiritual awakening, so I I got to work these steps so I can get to where they're at. Um, but just hearing different shares, it's it's instead of working the you know worrying about results and doing the next right thing and guy in my group says that to me all the time when I call him just you know don't worry about how your wife's going to react or guys in the group or guys at your work just do the next right thing um and i've just noticed that you know though i haven't felt this huge spiritual awakening in my life and whether my higher power you know, really cares or if it's the higher power that I had in my addiction state, um, where it just seemed like he was very distant. Um, and you know, now I try to define that spiritual awakening or, or where God is in my life or my higher power. Um, but a lot of times I just look at the small things that, you know, my second son was born, um, and unlike when my first son was born, I was very distant, very not in the room. Even though I was there, I was always thinking about what's, you know, I'm in a different situation here in the hospital. Who can I act out with? Who, or when is, when is stuff going to hit the fan? And, and with this son, when he was born, I was able to be present with him and just think about being with my family. Um, and that's what this program has brought to me. And I believe that is part of my spiritual awakening journey. Thank you. I'm Tracy and I'm a sexaholic and thank you Mike and Dan for y'all shares. I'm very grateful to have you as part of my recovery program, Mike. Um, and Dan, I really appreciated what you said about how our higher power can take something bad and turn it into something good. Um, I was, I got exposed and separated from my wife, and that's when the, my wife, my life imploded. And a couple of weeks after that, I got this fellowship from the religious organization that I'd been a part of all my life because of my acting out. And my life was really, really, really crummy. But this is the deal. My higher power said, okay, this is what we're going to do. And for reasons I won't go into, I have a real bad resentments toward the Catholic Church. So my higher power said, I'm going to send you to a Catholic Church. I'm going to put you in the room with child molesters. And you're going to tell about what you did sexually acting out. And then you're going to be okay. And I was just like, no, this can't be true. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. Um, and I'm so grateful because he took something. And because of my need for fellowship, because I had been disfellowshipped, I was able to concentrate on my relationships with the people in the SA. I had no interference from any other relationships. I had lost all my friends of my entire life. And it was perfect. I wouldn't have picked that. That was the most horrible thing that I could have imagined that to have happened to me. But that's exactly what got me where I am today. And I'm just so grateful to have recovery, to have um, you guys' support and the support group that I have. And things are, are just doing really well in Macon now. We have five meetings a week now. When we started, we were only having three. And I'm just very grateful. I'm very grateful for the whole situation and most grateful to my higher power because my entire recovery has been a spiritual awakening for me. Thanks. Thanks, Tracy. 
That's all the time we have. Thank you for participating. Please join me in thanking our panel. <laughs> Anything you've heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. This is an anonymous program. Please keep the name, address, phone number of anyone you meet or learn about in SA to yourself. Of what you say here, let it stay here. Yeah. Remember, we never identify ourselves publicly with SA in the press, radio, TV, or films. Neither does anyone speak for SA. Let's circle up and after a moment of silent meditation, I'd like to ask Bobby <laughs> to lead us in a prayer of his choice. <clears throat> inside and outside these rooms, the ones that don't know we're here. Followed by the third step prayer. Prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and move with me as I go. Relieve me of my self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties then victory over them, make their witness of those I know, about thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Keep coming back to the works, if you work it, if you're gonna work it every day, every night, if you work it. <laughs>would like to thank you for listening to this episode of the daily reprieve the best source for experience strength and hope for sa members please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes please show your support by donating to the daily reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking donate now Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.